The reading today is taken from Leviticus chapter 19 verses 9 to 10 and chapter 23 verses 15 to 22. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Chapter 23 From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count seven full weeks. Count fifty days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of one-fifth of an ephah of the finest flour, baked with yeast, as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present with this spread seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one young bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord, together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering and two lambs, each a year old, for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering, together with the bread of the first fruits. They are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. On that same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no ordinary work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come, wherever you live. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Hello everyone, and thank you for inviting me to be part of your Harvest Celebration Service. I feel really blessed to live on the outskirts of a small village in the Vale of Evesham. From our old cottage, we can look down over the fields towards the River Avon and admire the many colours of the various salad crops and vegetables that are grown in abundance along this fertile plain. It really is a beautiful and colourful sight. Our walk to the village shop takes us along the edge of several fields and I confess that I'm often tempted to reach out and pick up a lettuce or a cabbage or some courgettes or maybe a corn on the cob to supplement our supper. But you'll be relieved to hear that I don't because in our culture that would be considered theft. However, in the Holy Land, at the time in which our scripture reading is set, things were rather different. In this passage, Moses is instructing the people of Israel regarding what God considered to be holy living. And one of these instructions was that they should not harvest their land right up to the edges, but should leave some of the crops for the poor and the alien. This practice, whereby these people could gather the leftover produce, was known as gleaning. And it also extended to the grapes on the vine that were missed after the first picking, or 
which had fallen to the ground. I expect you recall that a little later in the time of the judges, we see how this instruction has benefited a woman from the land of Moab, whose name was Ruth. She and her mother-in-law, Naomi, were widows, and so they had no means of sustainable income. On arriving in Bethlehem, Naomi sent Ruth out to glean in the fields, and it just so happened that she found herself in the fields of Boaz, who was one of Naomi's kinsmen. We read that Boaz took a liking to Ruth and made sure she was allowed to glean as much as she needed from his fields. And, well, I'll leave you to read that story for yourself in the book of Ruth. And I recommend it, for it's not only a rather wonderful love story, but also a tale of how God provides for those who find themselves living in the margins. In many parts of Europe, this biblically derived right for the poor and the refugee to glean the fields became written into law. And in 18th century England, we find that gleaning was a legal right for what were known as cottagers. And the church bell would be rung at 8am and 7pm to indicate when the gleaners could begin and end their work. So perhaps I have rights as a cottage dweller after all. Well, the answer to that would be no. For cottagers was a term referring specifically to those who were tenants on someone else's land and who had no land of their own in which to grow food. And anyway, this practice was brought to an end by statute in 1788. Now, all of this might seem interesting and informative, and for a few moments I even thought it might allow me to pick those lettuces and cabbages after all. But I think it has a much more profound relevance and challenge for us here in the 21st century in how we live our lives. You see, I believe we've all been given a predetermined amount of time, but the freedom to choose how we use it. We've all been given the means to an income, whether as a result of work or some social or pension provision, but again we have the freedom to choose how we spend it. And we've all been given some skills and talents, along with the freedom to choose how and whether we use them. Taken together, I think these things constitute our field. And this is where the crunch point comes. You see, I believe the principle that lies at the heart of this Bible passage applies as much to you and me as it did to its original hearers. Namely, that God doesn't want us to harvest uh, that field <clears throat> to the very edge, but to leave some time, money and talent for the benefit of the needy stranger. Which I guess begs the question, how can we work out this principle in practice today? Well, first, let's consider our time. If we fill our hours and days, weeks, etc. to bursting point, then we have nothing left to give to that unexpected interruption. And we may even come to resent any unplanned intrusion on our time. 
When we examine Jesus's approach to time, we see that he prioritised his time alone with his heavenly Father. This follows the principle of first fruits that we read about in the passage in Leviticus, that God wants us to give him our first and our best offerings as our right and proper worship of him. But then Jesus spent the rest of his time travelling, teaching, healing, raising the dead to life and releasing people from the demonic. So it's not as if he had any spare time to speak of. After all, his ministry was only for three years and he faced a massive demand on his time. And yet, amidst this punishing schedule, we often read of him responding to interruptions by laying aside his plans and giving his full attention to the need before him. <clears throat> Indeed, it can be argued that many of the best-known miracles of Jesus happened as a result of interruptions to what he was on his way to do. So perhaps for us, not reaping to the edge of our field includes building some slack in our itineraries, some space in our diaries, and some flexibility in our schedules for the benefit of the unexpected guest in our life. Secondly, let's consider our finances. And again, the principle of first fruits seems to be that God wants us to give the first part of our income to him. But after that, I wonder how flexible is our budget? Do we even have a budget? Is there capacity to respond to the needs that we spot as we go about our everyday business? Now, I appreciate that there are times in our lives when our necessary expenditure seems to place unrelenting demands on our income, and we find ourselves having to live a hand-to-mouth existence. But, as with Joseph's seven years of famine in Egypt, perhaps there's some wisdom in setting aside what we can in the seven years of plenty. And then we're better equipped to ride out the storm and to help the poor and the stranger that we meet along the way. In his teaching, Jesus said, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And so on with how we use our skills and talents. We may genuinely be in a period of constraint affecting our time and our finances, but perhaps we can still bless someone with an act of kindness and practical help. In this season of pandemic, I've been so encouraged to discover how several friends and neighbours have used their time, money or practical help to bless a vulnerable and isolated stranger in our village and in doing so become good friends. This seems to have the concept of gleaning written all over it. In my morning devotions this month, I've been using the Celtic Daily Prayer Book here it is. And in particular, 
I've been reflecting on what hospitality is. Now maybe, like me, you associate hospitality with getting friends around for a meal in a pleasant social setting. Food and drink shared with people we like in places where we're comfortable. But you know, I've been challenged to understand hospitality as something much broader than that, much more radical and much less comfortable. One of our Heber ministers, Marg Hardcastle, wrote this in the prayer book for this month. Hospitality is lived out in the day-to-day -day through becoming available and vulnerable to the stranger, to people who are different from us, through the unwanted interruption in the ordinary places of everyday living where pain is experienced and presence is needed. Hospitality is not cosy and comforting, but risky and world-rattling. It is about encounters full of God's grace, where kindness and respect are practised. It is hospitality modelled on Jesus, who went amongst the crowds, touched and was touched by the unlovely and undeserving, gave bread and fish to the hungry and water to the parched, lost his good reputation because of the company he kept, but who, through his acts of radical hospitality, enabled people to have sacred encounters with the God who transforms lives. Challenging, isn't it? So let me draw these thoughts to a close with a question and a reminder. At this time of harvest in 2020, in these unprecedented conditions of pandemic and its associated restrictions, are there ways in which we can bless those who are poor and struggling, the marginalised and vulnerable, the refugee and the stranger, out of the relative abundance of God's provision in our lives by leaving some slack at the edge of what we harvest for ourselves. And let us remember God's promise that he will multiply that 30, 60 and even a hundred times to them and to us as we sow those seeds of kindness and generosity. Let us pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, at this harvest time, we are so grateful for all that you have given to us. We acknowledge that all things come from you and that you are faithful and generous in your provision. As a token of our thankfulness, we desire to give you the first and the best of everything we have as our act of sacrifice and worship, and pray that you will multiply it and use it for your glory and your kingdom. Lord, we also feel challenged by your word to be generous in how we make space for the poor and the stranger in our lives, through how we use our time, money and talents. 
Please show us where we might be guilty of harvesting what we have to the very edges and not leaving anything spare from which others can benefit. Lord, forgive us and give us eyes that see the need, ears that hear the sigh and hearts that respond with generosity. Lord, we're reminded in your word that as we give, so it will be given to us. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into our lap. For with the measure we use, it will be measured to us. We praise you for this promise and bless you for your abundant generosity. And we give ourselves to being an active part of your plans and purposes for your world. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. Amen. The Lord bless you all.